0: Welcome in today. Uh, Thanks for being the church and for bringing it into uh, wherever you are right now, whether it's here in person or uh, worshiping online with us. Um, If you're online, uh, I just want to remind you that we have communion today after um, our sermon We're going to come to this table of of God's grace, and we can do that together whatever way. So if you want to get um, bread and juice, your elements, you can do that at this point. Um, But while um, they're doing that online, for those of us in here, can you just look at someone around you and say, Happy New Year, and just wish them well. um, As you say that to them, just in your mind, say a prayer for them that they would hear the word today. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I um, want to welcome you again for those who are back uh, from out of town. Um, I know some of you have been back for a little bit, but uh, quarantined yourself and, and this is your first time back somewhere, you know, in different places. If you're new here especially, welcome. Thanks for uh, bringing the church into here and being part of what God is doing um, in our midst. Uh, my name is D.L. and I serve here as uh, one of the fine folks uh, amongst the many who are um, just trying to, to, to build God's church here together. So thank you for, uh, for joining us um, this new year. I uh, remember back about, I think it was, I, I don't exactly remember the year, but it was about 10, 15 years ago, um, somewhere up north, maybe in, in, in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure that's where it was, but I was attending a conference, a large Christian conference, probably about uh, five to 7,000 people there, everyone from like children up until, uh, to adults and people from Um, Other states were there. And um, in the morning and the nighttime, there would be different um, main sessions where everybody would gather together and a preacher would preach and music and and, and, like these cool bands and stuff would, would play. There'd be testimonies and things. Um, and then during the day, there would be these different breakout tracks based on your life stage or your, your interests. There was a uh, group for children. There was a breakout for youth, uh, for college students, for pastors, for missionaries, for Korean-speaking people. And I was there as a, invited as a speaker for the youth track. And so my, my, my late 20s at the time, and as part of being invited as a speaker, they let us sit in the speaker's lounge, which was overlooking the worship room in the convention center. And in that room, like different speakers would come and hang out, and there was free food, and it was like... Super cool, and I thought, like, man, this is like the, the pinnacle of, of of awesomeness in this place. And they had this big um, like glass windows where we would look down, and we could see everything that's going on in the convention center. And um, again, I was uh, talking the next day in the in the youth uh, to the youth students there. I remember sitting with one of my buddies and and thinking to myself, I wonder, like, maybe one day like, these guys will ask me to talk on the main stage. Like, that would be cool for all these people to, to be there and for me to be able to minister the Word of God. I, I thought to myself, I wonder like what it would take, like how, how good they have to be or what, what needs to happen in order for that to become uh, reality. We got to like the fourth main session. So, it was probably like uh, somewhere like in the, the third day morning or something like that. And I remember as I was hearing the the, the pastor speak, something that he said, and then I looked over at my friend, I was like, you know what? Every one of these guys who spoke on the main stage, like there's one thing that all of them had in common, and I don't know if they were told to share about their testimony, but all of them included part of their life story in their sermon, and every one of them had been through some kind of like deep and severe kind of trauma. Like three of the four um, weren't supposed to be alive. It was like one guy had a brain tumor When he was uh, 10 years old, wasn't supposed to make it to the age of 12. Another had childhood cancer and weren't supposed to make it to their teenage years as well. Another had this heart condition and they were supposed to not be alive. Another lost both of their parents when they were kids and were, were orphaned. And I was like, man, that's some crazy, crazy stuff. And as I was listening to this story, as I was thinking about this, I kind of hearkened back and I I, I asked, like, what is it that made these people go through that much hardship and then on the back end of it, not running away from God, not cursing God, not doubting God or leaving Him, but becoming stronger through it in order that they could be a powerful vessel, an offering in the hands of God to reach the world for His kingdom? Like, what is it that separates people who live for God and say, I'm going to Run towards God in the midst of the hardship and those who abandon God in the midst of the hardship. This isn't just like a a theological or even a practical conundrum in my mind many years ago. This is something that's deeply personal and practical to us here because we're in the midst of, uh, of a pandemic, which good news vaccine to some, good, I don't know, you know, people have different views on that, but the beginning of the end of a pandemic, but the reality is we're still in the midst of it. We're still in the thick of a pandemic. And the question is, as we look back at last year, and even as we look forward to this year, the question is like, what makes some people really run to God and thrive in the midst of the hardships? Some of you, 2020, for as hard as it was for the world, and even for you, you took off in your spiritual life like you read the bible you grew you came to prayer meetings and were deeply committed to to morning prayer and to different prayer initiatives and to your uh, small group and your youth ministry and and the Saturday night fellowship and your house churches and you grew in ways that you couldn't have if it not had it not been for a pandemic while others felt like well the pandemic everybody's struggling i'm going to kind of take a few months off for my spiritual life and you feel the effects of it now question is what's the difference between what 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 did, what delineates the people who run to God in the midst of hardship and those who run from God because I've said this a lot in the past year, and it's, it's more relevant now probably than it ever has been, but the majority of people who sit in churches in America are one pandemic, one heartbreak, one loss, one unanswered prayer away from walking away from their faith. And we've seen that in 2020. Maybe not in our church uh, to, to a large degree, but in the church in America, we've seen this. What's the difference between a person who takes the challenges, the trials, the problems, the pandemics of life and grow through it and those who crumble in the midst of it? We begin this new year with a sermon series called Pandemic Proof because I, man, I really... Um, at the end of the day, just want to get us back to the basics, like what is it that we need to do? How do we live in order that our faith can stand in the midst of pandemics and not shatter and not fall apart? I'm going to begin today by looking at uh, the truest and perfect example of a human being, Jesus, and the way He faced and dealt with the temptations, tests, and trials in His life. Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, and Just two major thoughts are going to come out of this. The first one is an overarching thought to kind of lead us into this year and into this sermon series. And then the second thought is basically the way Jesus dealt with the difficulties and the trials and the temptations that He faced. So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. This is the Word of God for the people of God. This is what it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan River, that's where he was baptized in the chapter prior. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is God's Word. Uh, Two thoughts here. Here's the first one. Tests will come, okay? Tests will come, colon, uh, when you're weak, when you're strong, and they'll come in bunches. Okay, the first thought, okay? Tests are going to come. Tests will come. How will they come? They'll come when you're weak. They'll come when you're strong. And sometimes they'll come in bunches. We see that here. But the reality that tests will come is not a reality that maybe we're all that familiar with or that we talk about that much. I think in 2020, we saw, okay, through a pandemic, tests are going to come, trials are going to come, like difficult times, situations like this are going to come. And the reason why it crippled so many of us in America is because we're not all that accustomed having problems come. Yeah, we have problems here and there, but maybe, maybe not so much accustomed to, but we're not prepared for. This is something that we see as foreign to us. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, well, he, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying. In nations of privilege and wealth, like we live in here in America, one of the things that we can do, and this is part of privilege, is we can, we can have things that people in other places don't have necessarily. We can buy a sense of security. We can buy a sense of, 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 of worth with money, right? We can buy a sense of comfort. And I think probably one of the biggest gods of our nation is the idol of comfort. That's why some of us work so hard, so that we can have money, so that we can be comfortable, whether now or in our retirement. Well, what's so bad about taking care of ourselves? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to prepare for the future. But when a good thing becomes the best thing in our lives, the ultimate thing in our lives, that's when it competes against God for supremacy of worship. And a lot of, a lot of people in our country, and maybe a lot of us if we're honest, we worship the God of comfort. That's why we want money so much. Why we want to have so much? Because we think we can be insulated from the challenges of life through the comfort that we have. What happens if comfort becomes, and again, Tim Keller says, anytime you idolize or demonize, anytime you idolize someone or something, you will demonize the opposite. And so when we idolize comfort, then we demonize discomfort. We demonize suffering. We demonize hardship. When hardship and suffering could be the very means that God uses to draw us to Himself, we think in our land of plenty that these things are uh, terrible things that we need to avoid rather than things that we need to embrace with faith. Philip Yancey, a much more esteemed person than I am, an author, maybe you'll believe what he says, he said, in wealthy nations like America, we pray to, be avo- to avoid suffering in our lives. Because when I go to developing nations, they don't pray that we'd avoid suffering. They know that suffering, hardship, trial is a part of life. Instead of praying that that would be removed from them, they pray that God would strengthen them through the challenges that they face. What about us? I know for me, absolutely as a fact when we go on mission trips to, to, to other countries, one of the first things I pray is that our people would be safe. I pray for their safety. When I was in uh, a persecuted country. At a prayer meeting, as they were sending people into the mission field, their prayers for their mission team that was going out to, I forget where it was, uh, but it was in the Middle East, Pakistan, their prayers for their mission team in Pakistan, they they never prayed for safety in an entire hour and a half praying for them. They prayed that in the midst of persecution, hardship, suffering, that they would stand up in faith and they would bear the name of Jesus well. In other words... The idol of some in America is comfort, that's the most important thing, whereas in other countries, character is prized above comfort. What happens when comfort becomes an idol of a nation? That necessarily begins to seep into the church within that nation. And so we begin to think that trials and hardship and difficulty are a foreign thing because that's, I mean, that's just not part of the sales pitch of becoming Christian, right? Sign up to be part of the church, right? Give your life to Christ, you will get forgiveness of sins, you get a father in heaven, you get a new community, you get life that is eternal and that continues into eternity. But we don't often hear about the hardship and the suffering that will come. Anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted, the Apostle Paul says. In this world, you will have suffering, Jesus says, John 16, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We don't often hear about the challenges that come, but Luke 4 knows very clearly and says at the outset that tests will come. Look at what it says in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil the Spirit of God led Jesus into that place of testing. Well, was it a test or was it a temptation? In the New Testament language of temptation, of testing used here, 36 times this word shows up in the New Testament. And every one of these times, every one of these times, it uses the temptation and trial language interchangeably. There's only three times where actually that word for uh, testing is translated uh, literally into temptation. So temptation and test are the same thing three out of the 36 times. Other, other times where we translated temptation, it's translated as a test. In other words, the same event, okay, the same event can be two different things depending on who's holding on to it. In the hands of God, that event could be a test, while in the hands of Satan, that event could be a temptation. Satan was tempting us to fall away from God during a pandemic while God was testing us to grow our faith. The aims are different. God wants us to win. Satan wants us to sin. And the same thing is true here. The same thing in the hands of two different people can be two completely different things because the outcome that they want is different. Testing will come then to all of us In what context does it come? There are three ways that we see it here. The first thing, it says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned to the desert where for 40 days He was tempted. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, it says, He was hungry. The devil said to Him, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Can you imagine not having eaten for 40 days, being hungry as you are? and then the test comes, the temptation comes. You can make this stone bread so that you could eat. How will testing come to you this year? Well, it will come when you're weak. Come when you're weak. I know it doesn't seem like it's a fair fight when you're in your weakened state and your opponent comes to attack you in your weakness. You're not supposed to do that, really. You know, in, in, in some uh, in, in some uh, sports and battles, ultimate fighting championship, uh, boxing. For as violent and as brutal as these battles are, there are rules that govern the battle. You can't hit them in the back of their head. You can't hit them below the waist. There are certain rules that apply in these violent and vicious sports. I don't know if um, for, for some of you, you, remember watching Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid movie that came out in the 80s, amazing, Daniel LaRusso, um, such a, a great movie. But at the climax of the first Karate Kid movie, it happens at this uh, karate tournament where the good guys and Daniel and Mr. Miyagi and his team are fighting against the bad guys, uh, Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is a bad guys, no mercy, um, they, they do whatever they can to win. And if you remember in the climactic, uh, in the championship match, Daniel LaRusso has been injured in his leg, and so he's not supposed to fight. He was supposed to get disqualified, and Cobra Kai was going to win. But at the last second, at the last second, a note is given to the judge, and he says, oh my gosh, Daniel LaRusso will fight. (laughs) Daniel LaRusso will fight. And so here comes Daniel LaRusso, and his leg is badly injured didn't matter to the Cobra Kai and Johnny Lawrence because they were going to exploit that weakness. So so in the first time they're going up, Johnny bends Daniel's leg and he puts all of his weight on it with an elbow and jacks up Daniel's leg. And he's like, oh, oh, it hurts so much. It hurts so much. They call a timeout. And then Johnny goes to his Cobra Kai master. And as he's wiping blood off of his nose, his master says to Johnny, sweep the leg. Okay, take out his leg. And Johnny's like, uh, that's kind of illegal. And he's like, Did you not hear what I said? I said, sweep the leg. And Johnny with fear in his eyes says, Yes, sensei. And he goes out and he does this spinning back thing and he sweeps his leg and Daniel falls to the ground. So and he gets docked a point. But he knows, listen, I can lose the point. But a crippled, hobbled opponent cannot win the match. I'll lose the point, but I'm going to win this match. That's what he was thinking. He didn't fight fair because he wanted to win that badly. We have an enemy, a devil, who's not afraid to sweep the leg. He knows where you're weak. He knows where your weaknesses are. If Your weaknesses, if you're a lady, is in the area of my relationships with boys. And He will use that against you. Anyone I've talked to, a lot of people I've talked to who go into struggling with habitual sin or some kind of an addiction, they'll say, I know the triggers in my mind, in my heart. I know, I know where I'm weak. It always happens in X, Y, Z situation. It happens when I'm tired. It happens when I'm stressed. It happens when I've got too many things on my plate. It happens when someone makes fun of me. It happens when I feel like a little bit less than able. Like we know the areas in our lives that we're weak. And the enemy comes to tempt you in those weak places. But remember, temptation from the enemy is a test from God. What happens in your weakness when you're tempted by the enemy to run from God? To test from God, where will you go? Will you run to me in the moment of my weakness? You give me grace to do your will. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. You're my hope and stay. You will be tested in those times of weakness. And the question is, what will you do? Will you give in to the weakness? Or will you, in your weakness, throw yourself upon the God who makes the weak strong? in His name. You'll be tested in this year to come, absolutely. You'll be tested when you're weak, but you'll also be tested when you're strong. Verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Jesus has just been baptized, He's heard the voice of heaven, a voice from heaven as heavens ripped open, the skies are ripped open, and God speaks to, the Father speaks to everyone who could hear that Jesus is His Son whom i love with him i am well pleased if the heavens were to rip open and you were to hear that voice speaking over you that god loves you he's pleased with you he delights in you in the company of all of these people and that's a, if you've ever heard god speak <laughs> in a way like that like that's a spiritual high if there's ever jesus is on fire to live for the glory of his father's name And full of the Spirit, he goes. And it's in that place that the enemy attacks him, that temptation comes. Maybe last year, when the pandemic came, you were weak and you fell. Maybe you were weak and you grew. Maybe you were strong. You were doing well. Man, in in the middle of March through Lent, you were like, you were killing it. You were so, you were intimate with the Lord. You were walking with him. And then in the midst of this, Bam, the shutdown comes, and all of a sudden, your strength, in your strength, you are tested. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if you think you're standing firm, be careful because there will be a testing that comes when you feel strong in the Lord. C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis said, virtue, you don't know the strength of your virtue until that virtue is tested. You don't know, how, you don't know the strength of your virtue until that virtue is tested. What does that mean? On uh, on New Year's Day, my family, um, we watched uh, Captain America because uh, for Christmas, Manny got this uh, encyclopedia of the Marvel superhero books. And so... As we've been looking through, we're like, oh, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start watching." And so we watched Captain America, and I think probably most of you have seen Captain America, but it's, it's a story about these guys who are going off into the army in uh, World War II, 1940s. And there's this like tiny, scrawny guy, and I'd never seen Captain America before, so I was like, "Wow, that actor's really skinny." But this guy, um, Steve Rogers, his name is like five foot five, uh, and and just like stick skinny, like 140 pounds maybe, 150 pounds, and he wants to go into the army. Like, he's so brave, and he's so courageous, and, and he's always getting into fights and always getting beat up, and he's getting beat up in this alley, and the guy's like, when are you going to give up? And he's like, I could do this all day long. I could do this all day long. And you're like, this, like, five-foot-nothing dude, scrawny and, and skinny, how can, what do you mean you can do this all day long? And he's just like, I'm, we're seeing he's a, he's a picture of courage and bravery. And then he's trying to get into the army. And finally, after a long while, after many rejections, because he's so tiny, he's got all these health issues, finally he gets accepted. And it's all these people who enlist in the army because they're courageous, they're brave, we're going to fight, we want to kill the enemy, we want to take down the Nazis. And and all these people are there. And there's this uh, secret group of people who want to make this superhero soldier named Captain America. And they're like, we need to have the right makeup. We need to have the right mentality. Who's it going to be? And all these guys seem so brave, and all these guys seem so courageous. And at this one point, uh, one of the higher-ups, played by Tommy Lee Jones, takes his grenade, it's a dummy grenade, and he throws it. And all of these brave soldiers are there, and in their company, he throws it, and all of them run away, except for little Steve Rogers. He dives on the grenade, knowing that it will cost him his life. But for the sake of the people that he loves, he's willing to make that sacrifice. Turns out it's not a real grenade. His life is spared. And they're like, by golly, that's going to be the guy. Right? That's going to be the guy. Why? Because you don't know how brave you are. You don't know. All these guys said, I'm brave, I'm courageous, I'm ready to go into the army. But C.S. Lewis says, you don't know how brave you are as a soldier until you go into the war and bullets are flying by your head. All of a sudden, then you know how strong and how brave and how courageous you are. You don't know how loving you are until you're put into a community with people, with somebody who's so difficult to love, and all of a sudden you realize that the strength of your love is really weak when it comes to the love of God, and what you thought was loving was really not that loving at all. You don't know how strong you are until that virtue has been put to the test, and when you're strong, you don't know how strong that faith is until it's been put to the test. The enemy will attack you with temptations in the midst of your strength. And what God is doing is saying, in your strength, here's a test. Will you continue to look to me and find strength, or will you put your hope in your ability to overcome in your own strength? You'll be tested when you're strong, when you think you're doing well, when this semester has been going awesome, and I've been growing so much, I've become a leader, and all these people are following me and calling me all these great names. You'll be tested in those times. Because you have an enemy who wants you to fall and you have a God who wants you to be strengthened. Not only when you're weak, not only when you're strong, but sometimes these tests come in bunches. When you think about, think about the temptation of Jesus. How many times was Jesus tempted? If we're playing Bible trivia, how many times was Jesus tempted? You would probably answer three. And if I asked, how confident are you? You would say, I'm very confident. And I would say, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing, and during those days, and at the end of the was hungry, the devil then proceeded to tempt Jesus three times. How many times is Jesus tempted? He was tempted throughout the 40 days, bombarded with tests, constant barrage of tests, and then it comes to the end of them. And then Satan gives his final exam for this semester to Jesus that consisted of three temptations. But there'll be times, again, 2020 was one of them, where you were tested one test right after another. It's this, it's that, it's bam, 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 bam. And a lot of times they just come at you. I don't know if you've ever had semesters like that where you just feel like, man, this semester, all of my final exams come on on one day or two days. It's crazy. Take, it's, almost, it's, it's as if every professor thinks that they're the only class in the entire school that we're taking. We've got all of these tests. That's the way oftentimes the temptations of Satan, the tests of God come as well. All at once they come, bam, one right after the other, constant barrage of testing. The question is, will you stand? When you're tested, when you're tempted, when you're weak? Will you stand? When you're strong, will you stand? When they come at you with all of hell's fury in order to get you to sin, will you stand or will you fall? Because here's what happened. When Jesus stood, it says at the end of it in verse 14, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That every time you're tested and you pass that test, you get stronger in your faith. Every time you're tested, tempted, and you give in to sin, get a little bit weaker in our faith. Temptations become a little bit stronger to us. But the more we win, the more we grow, the stronger we get. You think about this. Some of us feel like scrawny Steve Rogers. Maybe we think, like Peter, I can conquer the world. But when testing comes, it becomes a little bit harder for us. I think the picture that we see is, there's a picture of this little five-foot-nothing, 140-pound dude, and then there's Captain America. (laughs) Don't you want to be like Captain America? Like, buff and strong, maybe if you're a lady, maybe not. Maybe you want to be like Captain Marvel or whomever it might be but but strong and and able to fight not only for ourselves but for the sake of other people because each time we win over temptation each time we turn to God in the midst of our tests we grow stronger in our faith in order that we could do more for the kingdom of God and so the question is okay we need to be strong we need to pandemic proof our faith but how do we do that well it's going to take a long time for us to talk about that, few weeks, but today I want to talk about one of the foundational things. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus stand? How can we stand? The second thought, okay, second thought, the Word of God is your cheat sheet for when you're tested. Okay, the Word of God is your cheat sheet for those times when you are tested. Jesus famously, and listen, I'm not going to go into temptations because you could podcast, you could find on Google a million great sermons about the temptations and what they mean. But what I want to focus on is what Jesus said. When each of the three temptations come, Jesus famously answered them by saying, it is written in the Word of God. And when Satan tried to twist the Word of God, Jesus said, no, 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 no. In the last temptation, he says, it says, this is what it really says. In other words, the way that we stand in the midst of the tests of life is by knowing and standing on and believing the Word of God. Absolutely essential to our standing. I think a lot of us, um, we don't think we need to know the Word of God because when we need to know something about the Bible, we have this handy little tool called Google that we can enter in this question, what Bible verse helps me when I'm scared? And we can Google it. But there are times in life when we don't have Google. Jesus didn't have Google. What do you do when you don't have Google? What do you do when you're on a desert island? What do you do when you don't have Wi-Fi or cell phone signal? You're on an airplane or somewhere and you need to know what the Word of God says. The question is, is it in you? It's a question that Gatorade used to ask. Is it in you? Because in the midst of trial testing, what's in you is going to come out, right? You know that, right? Who you are always comes out in the time of testing. What's inside of you always comes out in the time of testing. And what the enemy's trying to do here with Jesus as well as back in the Garden of Eden, he's getting us to do one of three things. He's trying to get us to deny the Word of God. Did God really say that? He's trying to get us to doubt the Word of God. He didn't really mean that. And if he can't get us to do those things, then he will try to distract us from the word of God. I think for some of us, we doubted, we denied the word of God. But I would say for, probably for many of us, many of us, um, during a pandemic, maybe we were distracted from the word of God. As you work from home, you've got all this time on your hands. As you do school online, you've got more time on your hands. Can't go anywhere. So you've got time. What do you do? What do you do? With all of this extra time that we've got, maybe we'll go online shopping. Maybe we'll play among us with our friends. Uh, Maybe we'll, uh, a lot of us, a lot of us read up on COVID-19 religiously. Some of us (laughs) could have gotten a master's degree in COVIDology or in pandemic studies because we learned so much about the coronavirus. But the question we need to ask is then, in in all of the things that we read in the past year, where did the Word of God rank? In terms of how much time we spent. In, In terms of how many pages we read. Because Jesus shows us very clearly that if you want to stand in the midst of the trials and the tests of life, the Word of God has got to be in you. It's got to be shaping you. It's got to be forming you because whatever we read is going to shape our thoughts. That's why you know this, that the news that you read and the news that I read are completely different and it's going to lead us into two completely different directions. One of my buddies said, my newsfeed is not your newsfeed. We're just, we're, just, we're just repeating what we hear in our own echo chambers, right? That's how important it is, what we read. And so, again, the question is, if we, if we want to survive in the midst of the tests of life, how are we doing in terms of getting the Word of God into us? Listen, guys, I'm not just talking about I read for three minutes today or I did my Bible reading plan for today. The, the, the challenge with a lot of us, and this is what one of my, one of my buddies, he's a pastor, he's, he, he says, my mom is the godliest person I know, is what he says. And he says, this is what she said to me. Most of us, okay, most of us read the Word of God like this. This is what he says. His mom said, most of us read the Word of God like this, into our minds, right? See that? Reading into our minds. She said, this is how we need to read. We need to read it into our hearts. Look at that. It's the Word of God getting into your heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a little detour in this picture. Say it needs to go like this, right. into our minds, and into our hearts. It doesn't go directly into our hearts. You're reading the Word of God like this. How do you how do you do that? Can I tell you how you do that? How you here's how you don't do that. You don't do that quickly. You don't do that in five minutes a day. You don't do it by reading Oswald Chambers for two minutes and then going off on your day. That's not how it gets into your heart. It takes time for the Word of God to go into here. Again, most of us read it into here. And it doesn't make that ever so distant trip between our head and our hearts. This is where change happens. Right? This is what God's Word says. But we do this, okay? Guys, we do this with like the news of COVID. We read it pff, into our minds and then it begins to hit our hearts. Oh my gosh, it's coming, it's coming. A new strain, the UK virus. Oh my gosh. And we begin to fear because we begin to... What is it that we do that gets it into our hearts? We meditate on it. Guys, the same mechanism that enables us to worry is the mechanism that allows us to meditate. It's taking the Word of God and thinking about it over and over and over again. What happens if we do? What happens if we get the Word of God into us, guys? Psalm chapter 1. Listen to this promise. Blessed, truly happy is that person. Don't you, don't you long for that truly happy, content that nothing can shake. Blessed is the one who does what? Meditates on the Word of God day and night, turns it over and over. He or she will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. What does that mean, firmly planted? That no hurricane can shake it. It means that if it's firmly planted by streams of water, it means this water is moving, it's life-giving, it's constantly flowing, it's alive, it's not dead, algified water, but It's living. And so it gives root life to the roots, and therefore fruit will be born. That's the promise of Psalm 1. Meditating on the Word of God, there will be fruit. Whatever he does prospers, comes through the Word of God. Psalm 119, how can a young man, okay, young men, young men, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the Word of God, right? That's and then living it out. Not just reading. Psalm one 13, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I would not sin against you. That's what Jesus did. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Do you ever feel like it's dark and you don't know what to do, where to go? Your word, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. James chapter 1, verse 21, the word of God get it into you which can save you the power of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you getting this Word into your life that you might be thoroughly equipped, that you might be able to live in this way for God's Word, that you might be fruit-bearing Because you see, the the gift of the Word of God, not only you you get the Word of God into you, Jesus did, He stands strong in temptation, and then it says, He left full of the power of God in His life. Man, I want this power of God in my life in this year. I want this for you in this year also. And it comes by getting into the Word of God. And not just getting into the Word of God, but letting the Word of God get into you. It's not just let's get into the Word. You got to get this in to you. <laughs> and when it does, that Word is transformative. Last year, one of the one of my favorite worship services, most memorable worship services, was in July, middle of the pandemic. We'd shut down, we'd opened up, or shut down, opened up, shut down, opened up again. And this was in our second regathering. And we we're talking about just how to live in the midst of in the midst of this world we knew that this was going to be for a while and one of the things that i talked about was how we need the word of god the promises of god to sustain us and then it was either there or here or somewhere but uh, there was a microphone and several of you guys came up as the invitation was given what are what are some passages of scripture that anchored you during this time, that got you through this pandemic? And as you begin to share the promises of God, it's like if you play video games, like you get beat up, beat up, beat up by the enemy, the pandemic, the enemy, whatever it is, the devil, and your, your strength meter is going low. As each promise was beginning to be spoken, it's almost like strength meter was like bloop, 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 like we're leveling up, like we're leveling up, we're gaining new strength, we're getting new fire, we're getting new strength in order to, to, to fight and to win because we need it. Because the enemy attacks us when we're weak, attacks us when we're strong. We're strong. And when you get to new levels, you will face new devils. We need to be strengthened through the Word of God, and that's what he does. That's what he does. That's what he did. That's what he's doing now. Because the Word of God in you is not only for you, it's for other people as well. It's for other people as well. There is was one youth meeting that I heard about Um, At some, I forget which church it was, but the youth pastor wanted his students to know how God speaks to them through the Word and how that's practical and how it changes things. And so he had them sit in a circle, and then he had a a, a verse of Scripture taped to the bottom of every person's seat. And he brought one chair in the middle and a blindfold, and he said, "If you got a problem, um, if not like, dude, you got a problem though. But if if you're dealing with something in your life." some kind of an issue, struggle, problem, come sit in the middle, you put the blindfold on, and and you can say your issue, your situation. And then as we hear it, if there's a verse under your chair that speaks to that situation, I just want you to read that out loud. And as you're blindfolded, just imagine that you're hearing God speak to you. And so students are like, dude, this is like awkward. This is mad awkward. Who's going to go up there and talk about their problems? And so they're like kind of like, giggling and whatever it is. This one guy goes up there. He's like, Uh I got a really hard math exam next week and people are like kind of laughing. Not sure if he's serious or not, but they're all looking at their verses like, no, I don't I don't think there's a verse for that. <laughs> like I don't know what the verse is for that one. And and it's kind of quiet and it's like awkward for a little bit. And so one guy says I don't know, Philippians four thirteen, mine says I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Like, all right, that's cool. And then no one else really said anything, and so he went back to his seat. Um, Major awkwardness for a couple moments. And then this one girl goes up there. They didn't know who she was. She was a new girl at their church, at their youth ministry. New girl goes up there, and she sits down. And she's like, I'm done with life. I've had it. Life stinks. Like Life is awful. I don't... What's the point? This one dude opens up his Bible verse. He's like, I don't know if this helps, but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out of it so you can stand up under it. And she just shot right back. And she's like, nobody loves me in this life. Everybody hates me. Like, I have, I have nobody. I have nothing. This one girl opened up her thing, and it said, Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And with increasing volume and rage and anger, she starts screaming. She's like, my parents hate me. They kicked me out of the house. They told me never to come back. They told me never to come back to the house again person opened up their things at Hebrews, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as she just kept on screaming out all of her brokenness and all of her pain and all of her anger, as verses began to get spoken over her, this went for a few verses, at the end she, she, she took off her, her, her uh, blindfold and she was just like weeping, she was weeping. And the anger and the rage and the pain gave way to a softness and a tenderness and an openness. Because when she who went in there angry, hurt, bitter, so full of hatred, uh, left that time softened, cared for, loved, here having heard the voice of God through the word of God, it was as it was spoken through the people of God. See, the word of God is the power, the life source that we need. And the more we get it into us, not only are we strengthened through it, not only can we overcome, but God gives that to us in order that we might be a blessing to others as well. When's the last time someone spoke the truth of God's Word into your life or vice versa? I think sometimes, man, we... Uh, we go too far to the extreme when people are like, hey, you know what? When I got a problem, I just want you to listen to me. Or when people got problems and they come to you, I just listen to them. I don't want to say anything. I just want to listen to them. That's good to a certain degree, but at a certain point, guys, we got to bring the hammer. We got to bring the truth. We got to bring the Word of God. Listening is good, but at the end of the day, we need to... Br- Jesus, Jesus listened. He listened very well. He listened to a Samaritan woman at a well. He listened to the weeping and wailing of Mary and Martha. He listened to a woman caught in adultery, but he never just listened. He always brought truth because he knew that this is what would be transformative. He brought truth with grace, absolutely, but he didn't bring grace without truth. He brought truth with listening, absolutely, but he didn't just listen without truth. He brought truth to Martha. He brought tears to Mary, but he didn't just bring tears to both. We need to to know the Word of God in order that we can speak the Word of God, and that's what a community of faith does. We don't just say, oh, it's okay, let me give you a hug. Oops, can't do that, we're in pandemic, can't even do that. Air hug, I just listen to you. No, we can do far more than that, far more than that. Through the weapon of the Word of God and prayer, we attack the work of the enemy. We overcome in that way through the word of God and your roots go deeper and deeper and deeper every time the word of God gets into you so that your faith will stand in the midst of pandemics. Jesus, the ultimate example, the one whose word in him came out in order to give life to other people, not only in the temptation, but it says the devil left him until an opportune time. When would that opportune time be? It will be three and a half years later in a garden and then later at the cross, where every ounce of hell's arsenal was leveled against Jesus in order that the Son of God would fall into sin. And yet at the cross, what was in him once again came out. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All the truth of God's Word came out in the most of the deepest pressure, the hardest trial, the deepest temptation to call down the legion of angels to save him. But Jesus didn't. Why? The Word of God not only strengthened him, but it strengthens us. Because if there was just one sin that came from Jesus, our lives would have been lost. Do you understand? Just one sin in Jesus would have meant he's no longer the perfect substitute. He's no longer... He just like one time when someone was annoying him, just if he could just... I I remember going to this one retreat and this one, completely unchurched kids, talking about The Passion of the Christ, uh, the movie, when it came out. And he's like, well, what if Jesus, like, he was like a, a seventh grader. He's like, what if Jesus just, like, flicked one of the soldiers on his forehead? W- would, that, would that have been a sin? <laughs> like, uh, just, just, like, to flick him, to let them know that he was annoyed with them. If Jesus just committed one sin, salvation of the world would have been lost. But for our sake... For the sake of the glory of God, for a God who loved the world so much that he gave his son in order that he might have us, Jesus stood obedient to the call of God. Forty days in the desert harkens back to 40 years in the desert. where the Israelites failed, Jesus succeeded in the test. Go back even further, the same test that Adam and Eve faced in the garden, in a garden, in a perfect garden, perfect intimacy with God, a perfect garden where every need they had was there. They could eat anything they wanted. In a garden, Adam and Eve failed with the same three tests for passion, position, and possession. Jesus in the desert, having no food, succeeded in overcoming He did that for His Father's glory, and He did that for you, and He did that for me. When we stand, like we stand not only for ourselves, we get into the Word of God, we read not only for ourselves, not only for God, we read for the strengthening of other people. As we enter into this new year in the midst still of trials and pandemics and hardships, what might it look like? If We got together with some friends. I know after our three-strand prayer meetings, uh, several groups of our adult ladies got together. Um, I didn't know until they told me after the fact. I didn't know until I got a, a message from my Bible app that said so-and-so has just finished a Bible reading plan. Congratulate them on it. But different groups of people saying, I need, I need accountability to be in the Word of God because we got to grow together. Man, what a, what a beautiful sight it would be to see young people Older people getting together in pockets, reading the Word of God, sharing, blessings, strengthening each other in order that we would stand. The Word of God is not only our cheat sheet and trials, it's the foundation for a pandemic-proof faith. Let's begin here. Let's begin today. Let's pray together. Let's pray and ask the Lord that He would help us. God, would you help me? How can I live? a life in the Word of God this year. Maybe today I'm going to make a commitment to read the Word for 10 minutes each day and then to meditate on it for five minutes each day. Lord, that will be my New Year's resolution. Maybe for others of you it's going to be that uh, after worship service you're going to talk to three people and say, hey, you want to get into the Word together? Maybe your resolution will be, okay, uh, I'm tempted to just waste all of my time on social media, media. How about before I I look at any of those other websites or apps, I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes with my Bible app and really get intimate with God. Pandemic-proofing our faith means we know what is written we hide it in our hearts let's pray asking the lord that he would help us in this way let's pray for half a minute like that prayer of commitment resolve by the grace of god lord i want to do this that i might love you more and more let's pray for half a minute A few moments confessing any sins before the Lord God. The table of God's grace is going to be open for those who are going to partake in the Lord's Supper. So, for those of you who are worshiping at home, you can again get your elements out if you haven't already. (coughs) But for those who are going to come to this table, we want to come in a manner worthy of the gospel, having examined our hearts, repenting of any sins that we've committed that we haven't yet confessed before the Lord. For those of us who are not 16 yet or have not been baptized or confirmed, and um, you won't be coming to this table, but you can still pray a prayer of confession, laying down your sins before the Lord in order that we might begin this year with a clean slate. So let's pray for half a minute He's asking the Lord that he would help us, that he would strengthen us, that he would wash us the cleansing fountain of the blood of Jesus in order that we might live for his purpose. Let's pray. Surrender our sins, our hearts to the Lord God and receive his forgiveness as we prepare to come to this table. Let's pray for half a minute like that. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that for as many times as we fail, there will be grace to cover all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, all of our mistakes, all of our idolatries, all of our running. Thank you that your grace is bigger and that Jesus is greater than our sin. Thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. You've drawn us with loving kindness leads us to where we are here. We pray that at this table, through singing and through receiving the sacrament, that we would be strengthened in our faith to live for you more more. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.